And so what I found with leaders is there was this core belief and it sounded something like this. I didn't get that treatment, that good of treatment when I was growing up. Why should I give it to them? And it's human. Isn't that so human? I didn't get that. Why should you get it? Kids these days, you know, you all know these tropes. Kids these days, they have it so easy. You know, you go on and on and on. And I found as a coach, that is the piece. There's a part of us that believes that we have suffered and got to where we are partly because of the suffering we've endured. And if the next generation doesn't suffer in the same way, something is wrong. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Coffin. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Jason Cochran, and I am hosting solo today while Ira is away on a well-deserved and long-overdue vacation. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you think this is just another podcast, y'all know by now, think again. We are the voice of the most cru crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of technology, business, and people. Because of you, we are now a top 1% podcast in the whole world in popularity. And we're also ranked as a top 100 business management podcast. And we're also in the top 100 for thought leader podcast. So thank you for tuning in every week. And we promise that we will continue doing our best to bring you the best, most insightful leaders and content on the future of work. This episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization is sponsored by our partners at Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. Well, folks, you may not know it, but all of us are about to witness sports history as an iconic record is going to be broken within the next week or two. LeBron James is set to eclipse Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record in the NBA. And to be honest, it's a record that most experts thought would never be broken. But it's not that record that I want to kind of dig in on today. It's another one that could very well happen soon with LeBron James. And that is LeBron and his son, Bronny James, very soon could be playing in the NBA at the same time, and that would be the very first time in NBA history that a father and son were both playing in the league at the same time. Why am I bringing this up? All of this underscores an important point. As our medical, nutritional, and technological advancements continue to accelerate, so too does our understanding of aging and performance. We're moving from a time where three generations in the workforce was the norm to now having five generations in the workplace at the same time. We never thought we'd see a day when, get this, great-grandparents and their great-grandchildren could both still be working. But this is quickly becoming a very real possibility in the future of work. 
provided the older generations are doing work that they love and it fits with their abilities and older age. Now, for most of you, this is probably both fascinating and terrifying, just as it is for me, and even more so for organizational leaders as they're trying to understand how do they lead and develop multi-generational teams across the globe, many of whom now are working remotely. Well, we're going to tackle that question with the one and only Lindsay Bacardo um, today. Lindsay is a business coach and a global speaker on this topic of how to develop strong cultures uh, where you're tapping into the multi-generational talents of people within those teams. But first, before we bring Lindsay on for this discussion today, we've got to get to our popular segment, The Perfect Labor Storm. As you know, on each episode, we focus on a disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we think you should know about. And no surprise, we're going to talk about multi-generational trends here today. So check this out. By 2050, there could be nearly 1 million people in the world who are 100 years or older. Now, just as a frame of reference, that would be double the number of people who reach the age of 100 from what we currently have. And so with this increase in age, we can also expect that there's going to be multi-generational workforces starting to become more the new normal. And also, more than 86% of global companies are saying a multi-generational workforce is critical to their success and growth. According to Purdue University Global, um, we already mentioned we've got the five generations in the workforce, those five being the traditionalists, the boomers, the Gen Xers, the millennials, and Gen Z. But get this, just in two years, by 2025, millennials are going to make up 75% of the workforce. And that same study revealed that 65% of boomers, they plan to work past the age of 65. So again, we have more and more folks who are seeing that if they're doing work that's meaningful to them and they're in good health, that they may want to continue working even past the age of 65. And then lastly, this one's pretty shocking. This is going to show you just how rapidly things are changing, particularly with skills. Almost half of employers estimate that a skill is usable for four years or less. This came from a report from the Wiley Education Services Group. So again, half of employers are saying, yeah, once we skill our people up, that skill is usually good for four years before it becomes obsolete. So very important that we continue um, upskilling our workforce and reskilling our works, uh, workforce. So all that to say, we got lots of interesting stuff to chew on here today as we set the table for Lindsay. Without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to the one and only Lindsay Bacardi. Thank you for having. I love that I'm welcoming myself. Thank you for yeah. having me, Jason. I love being here with you. Well, absolutely, and we want you to make yourself right at home there. I love that, <laughs> Lindsay. Absolutely. And so you and I, we we both are from Indianapolis, and so we got yeah. to have coffee a few weeks ago, which was awesome. And I don't know if it was the same for you, but for me, when we were talking, it just was like, wow, somebody who gets me, uh, who mm, gets mm-hmm. what the path that I'm on, uh, doing very similar things. So. Would love yes. to start off with this. Share a little bit about who Lindsay Bacardo is and the work that you're doing in organizations around building multi-generational teams. Tell us about yourself and this work. 
Yeah. Well, I came to Indianapolis by way of full-time ministry, actually, as a musician. And I did that for my first five, six, seven years here in Indianapolis. And, you know, my drive was really to create something, art, music, experiences where people could come and think more deeply about their lives. And we were using music as an avenue to do that. And I love that work. Like any good rock band, we broke up within five years. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, in that moment, I thought, what do I really love about music? I do love, I'm a drummer. I do love playing the drums, but my body was really starting to feel the wear and tear of travel. And uh, I really found myself saying, I actually look forward to the conversations I have before the show and after the show more than I do clicking off and getting the music started. And so I thought, what could I do with that? I had an undergrad in psychology and public communications. So I went back to school for coaching and I studied executive coaching. The crazy piece of that for me was when I walked in the room, I was the youngest person by like a decade. You ever have that moment where you think like one of these is not like the other and it's me. (laughs) I'm the odd one out. And I remember some, uh, a VP of a bank came over to me and we just kind of looked at each other and I thought, I don't think I belong here, but I'm going to learn and soak this stuff up. And I did. And I was one of the first generational coaches that was focusing on millennials at work at the time. Most of the time you think about businesses and companies, they're not spending a ton of money and resources on their entry level employees. They're bringing executive coaching to the executives. And I thought, this is my Robin Hood moment. I'm going to take everything I learned and bring it <laughs> to the other end of the spectrum. And that's what I did. And I had a program called Unleash My Career. And I was coaching millennials, a whole a group of clients. I was doing group coaching. I was doing coaching over something like Zoom at the time, individual coaching. And as these individuals grabbed onto what we were talking about and training around, they went to their bosses and their bosses said, all right, Lens." What is going on? Tell us what you're learning about these millennials. They're outperforming their peers. The ones that you're coaching are doing so much better. Help us understand. And that's what I did. And so I started to write more content directed towards anyone who was leading somebody in a different generation stage of life, really, than they were. And that became very important for leaders to hear this message. They actually found some comfort in understanding what really was going on and what they needed to do to lead and engage younger generations. And so that became my mission and my work. And I've been speaking and keynoting and coaching for over a decade now. Love that. And isn't it funny to think now, Lindsay, uh, millennials, they're not spring chickens anymore, right? I mean, 40. (laughs) Yeah. We just talked about this a few weeks ago on the show. I was like, you know, Ira, the millennials, you know, we always talk about them and like, they're now approaching midlife. That's right. Which is crazy. Um, Yeah. And so I guess, you know, one of those moments that I had that you talked about, like, okay, I don't really fit in here. I had one of those just a few weeks ago because I have a tendency to think, even though I'm 43, that like I'm still in my 20s. Oh, yeah. Mr. Hip guy, you know, and everything. And so getting my hair cut and I mentioned Alanis Morissette. Oh, my gosh. My first CD, Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This makes me feel better. Yeah. They had no idea. Had, had never heard my the the person who's cutting my hair. She was she was like, "Who's Alanis Morissette?" And it was one of those moments immediately, like, "Okay, I'm just going to stop right here. Like, I'm not going to explain who she is. Like, this is just really making me feel out of my comfort zone." And so, kind of the segue for that, 
to bring that into a question for you is when you're doing this work inside yeah. organizations, what have you seen as more challenging in getting those generations to work as a cohesive team? Is it typically, and I guess I'm kind of putting you on the spot, not to blame somebody, but you know, the challenge is, is it more with the older generation and getting them to work with the Gen Z's and the millennials, or is it the other way around? Is it more of the Gen Z's and millennials who struggle to work with the older boomer or traditionalist generations? Man, that is the question of the decade. Truly. The reason that I brought in is because the more experienced generations are confused and frustrated and they are responsible as leaders to understand this next generation. So typically it's the older generations who are coming and saying, what is going on? I'm talking to them. They're on their phone. I feel disrespected. I feel frustrated. And so what I find is that both generations are reading the behavior of the other one and making assumptions about what they're doing, particularly around work expectations and what it means to be a professional and tech usage. So in those two areas, you'll see quite a variance in behavior. In most handbooks, when you come into an organization, you know they're not necessarily talking about these invisible social cues that we give each other every day. So we're breaking down those social cues often and helping people understand, you know, when you type in all caps, it looks like you're yelling. When you use exclamation points and you think you're being friendly, that also looks like you're yelling. And so that's where the generations get confused with each other. And a lot of it is communication. I mean, at the end of the day, we are social creatures first. We are always looking for how to connect to each other, how to make understanding between each other. We believe we're actually the only animals on earth that share our thoughts with one another, which is very interesting to think about. But we are meant to be in packs, if you will. We are meant to be in groups together. And so you put a group of people who have had different childhood experiences, they've had different types of leadership, and they've used different technology through their life you are going to have problems going in every direction. And I've seen it going both ways. I will say right before COVID, I started to have more young employees come to me and say, uh-oh, now I'm leading people that are older than me and I'm feeling this pressure to relate to them in a way I never have had, I've never felt before. Can you help me? So it's different every place that I go in terms of who's, struggling with whom. And it kind of depends on why I was brought in in the first place, but it definitely goes both ways. That makes total sense. And is it safe to assume that because now we have more teams that are working remotely, has the working remotely helped in some regards where maybe there's less of the trying to interpret what people are doing all the time in terms of their nonverbals, or is it making it a little bit more challenging? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's my answer. (laughs) I love that. It depends on the nature of the work that individuals do. If it's highly collaborative work, we know that it's going to be hard to do that over tech because we pick up so many safety cues from each other with nonverbal verbals, with things that you can't, that Zoom can't even pick up or any technology can't pick up. And so it kind of depends on the nature of the work that you do. If you work with a team regularly, being on Zoom or being on any platform where you're talking over tech 
breaks down your progress over time. There's a lot of reasons we could go into that if you want to, but remote work is a little tricky because it's not one size fits all. It's really dependent on your industry, what you're trying to accomplish in your role and what your day-to-day looked like before we went through this kind of wild transition. Yeah, let's do dig into that a little bit, Lindsay, because sure. what I primarily hear as an organizational psychologist and consultant myself with organizations is they're still trying to figure out how to set up their teams and people for success yes. working remotely. And so yep. can you share what are you seeing the organizations that seem to be doing a better job with this, particularly mm-hmm. across the generations? Yeah. What do they seem to be doing really well with this to equip their people to be successful working remotely on multi-generational teams? Yeah, well, the first thing is they understand this is a great book. It's called Can You Hear Me by Nick Morgan. It was published through HBR. Um, They really start to understand the advantages and disadvantages of technology. So to be a practitioner, to use technology well, you kind of have to go a layer deeper and understand, wait, based on what we ask people to do and what they're hired for, how does technology hurt or help? So Again, when I think of best practices, first, I think the leaders are saying, this is what technology is great for. Streamlining analog things that usually, you know, take forever for scheduling, for quick meetings, to save time on an email instead of figuring out details, we're just hammering out details verbally. Obviously, you can talk faster than you can type or read. And so sometimes it is just faster to jump on. So leaders who understand how to use technology, think about when is it appropriate to use it and when doesn't it work? And leaders that say across generations, we know that if we're trying to be creative, if we're trying to solve a problem as a group, let's find times when we can come together because part of what you build when you are in person is safety. And there's a few ways that we do that. We do that with our peripheral vision. Think about if you're with a group of other people and you're talking in a group If you and I are looking at each other, Jason, I'm still watching the cues of everybody else. My brain is still picking it up. When we're in person, we also fist bump now, but sometimes you'll hug, you'll shake hands, you'll spend a little time in physical proximity where you know, okay, I am safe with this person. We also don't have the same delay. There's a micro delay when you and I are speaking over technology. And in that micro pause, Nick Morgan in that book, he talks about, our anxiety starts to rise. We get this cue that, uh uh-oh, maybe you think my idea is dumb. Maybe this is a bad idea. Oh, and now Jason responds and I can calm down again. And so we end up going through this kind of roller coaster more than normal just because of the natural lag of the internet, of technology. And so I see leaders that are doing this really well cross-generationally, choosing strategically what to do on tech and what to do in person. And there's been a lot of research in the last few years about how often folks need to come together to maintain a base form of what we might call culture. Gallup at one point said it was at least 20% of the time you had to be in person. But this number, because of COVID, is get, is shifting all over. And so you'll see organizations responding in that way and trying to figure out how often do we need to really come together in person and in this type of role, in this type of company or organization, can you really be fully remote? It depends on what's being asked of you. Absolutely. And a follow-up question to that that we just got was, is it the tech that makes communication difficult or our inability to use the, the tech effectively at times? 
That's a great question because I think it's the way that we code our language. So if you were to look at <clears throat> even how a Gen Z codes when they type coding, let's use a really silly example, emojis. An, a Gen Z, if they think something's funny, they will show the skull emoji. Like, it's so funny, I'm dying. That's kind of the joke, right? Interesting. A millennial or a Gen Xer will they do like that head tilt with the tears coming out sideways. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. And so what I see happening is that technology allows us to code our language and emotions differently. And whatever technology you grew up with, you are probably the most comfortable with. It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about Alanis Morissette. There's been research done that the music you listen to in your teens is still the music you prefer. And there's a sense that it's kind of gotten built into your nostalgia. It's built into the way that, you know, we all are typically nostalgia of our childhood. We have nostalgic mm. feelings about it, even if it wasn't perfect. And so I think I, that's part of what I see happening is you've got these younger generations growing up with, for example, Gen Z's having social media. Gen Xers, we didn't even know what that was. Millennials, we barely had that. So they're growing up with a totally different way to code their language and their experiences. And that's part of, I don't know that it, we're misusing it. I think it's actually the human brain applied to technology that is viral, where everyone can talk to each other at the same time. That's just absolute chaos between generations and communication. That's fascinating. And so I guess the follow-up question would be, there's two of them here. Number one is, have you tinkered at all with chat GPT? Oh yeah, I was using it today. Yep. Okay. And so perfect. A follow-up question to that would be, have has chat GPT entered the conversation in terms of trying to bridge communication between the different generations in terms of how they communicate best together? Like, could you cue something up uh, like a, a prompt in chat GPT? Like if you're a millennial or a Gen Z to be like, tell me how to chat with my boomer boss on this topic. <laughs> you could totally try it. Um, there are warning. This is new software that still <laughs> is being worked out. Uh, sometimes you're going to get weird answers, but I do think that there's an opportunity, you know, to figure out how to use technology to translate just like we do across languages. I mean, we've had Google translate for probably a decade where, you know, I could in theory go to, a country that speaks a different language and Google could speak on my behalf. You know, where can mm -hmm. I, where's the biblioteca? Why do we always learn how to go to the library when we go overseas? I don't know, but you can say like, you know, <laughs> right. where's the nearest pharmacy and hold it up and it'll exchange. I'm sure that chat GPT will continue to create that. People kind of play with it. Now we're kind of playing with it. Like, put my instructions in Shakespearean language. It's kind of more of a lighthearted application. It'd be very interesting to see if you used it across generations. I think the power though, that we all have is to actually learn each other well enough that we're able to have those conversations and fast is not always better. And sometimes when I'm coaching inside of organizations, I see the emphasis on speed versus depth. Versus do we actually understand each other? Let's, if we can slow down in this moment 
and really hear from Bill and Martha and Lindsay and Sarah. If we can slow down in this moment, we can go a lot faster later. And so if I think about how do we speed up communication, depending on the makeup of your team, I would say slow down and understand each other. Sure. Try chat GPT, see what happens, but really start to understand each other's backgrounds and why you think the way you do so that you can ultimately move fast together with trust in the equation. I love that. And, and kind of sticking on this topic of the technology and kind of the way things are changing in the future, you heard at the top of the show, just how much things are changing. You know, we, we now have five generations in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, we had Steven Kotler on a few weeks ago, and I know I mentioned him to you when we had coffee about yeah. how the science is showing us that we can train for old age, that yes. we don't have to turn 65 or 70 and just be couch potatoes and just watch TV shows, that you can still retain 70% of your physical and mental abilities and still, if you're passionate about it, be doing meaningful work if you want that to still be part of your life. That's right. And so, so thinking about those, those changes, um, what does that look like to you? I mean, that, to, to me, yeah. this is fascinating, but is the communication going to be the biggest challenge? Is it going to be reskilling people in this future of work? Um, what are some of those challenges that we're going to have to really understand and do well in order to be able to function in our organizations and try to make sure we have the right people doing the right jobs? Oh my gosh. You know, that's a really important question to be considering. And there's, my brain goes a million directions when I think about the human lifespan extending, when I think about people working longer, maybe out of necessity as well, you know, not just for preference, but if all boomers are going to retire or they can retire by 2030, I just don't think they're all going to retire. I think they're going to let their 401k plan build a few more years. So I think it kind of, it's interesting because my brain could go a million ways, but when we talk about how the lifespan, how our lifespan is going to impact and where we'll have the biggest challenges, I do think technology is a big part of that. And it means that our brains even as you and I, you know, I resisted TikTok. TikTok is like a drop in the bucket compared to where we're going, you know? And so when I think about those of us who have kind of already grown up and we're in our later stages of development in adult life, where we want to make our mark on the world and we want to leave a legacy, part of what we have to do is think about how open am I to the way that technology is changing how we connect to each other. And I do think that will be, the belief itself that I'm kind of done learning tech, this is like beyond me, or the judgment that the next level of technology is morally abhorrent or evil, that kind of mindset where we resist change will only be a detriment to your career and to your connections in the world. And so I do think technology and communication is the biggest one. I'll tell you, the longer somebody has lived, if they've reflected on their life, I believe that they are extremely valuable to their organization, to their family, to human, the flourishing of humans, because there's some wisdom that can't be microwaved. Some wisdom comes with true going through true developmental stages in life. And so do you ever notice you remember maybe when you would sit down and talk to your grandparents or even your parents and you would tell them something that felt 
huge, so stressful, so overwhelming. And they would say something like, yep, you know, that's how it goes. Like that's going to happen more than this one time. This is, this is just part of life, kid. They would say something like that. I'm starting to understand what that means and the value of living enough life and knowing how much can change over a lifetime that things just don't phase you and you're able to move through them and keep growing. So I would love for older generations to stay at work and bring their wisdom, their life earned, hard earned wisdom. And I'd also love for them to be open to technology and not allow this negativity about it to creep in. I love that. The experiential wisdom, like you said, the neuro research is really clear on it, that yes. that's something that doesn't peak until your 60s. That's the, right. Th that particular faculty. And so if we have folks that are leaving the workforce consistently in the 60s, then we're missing out on that, that skill that is so important to try and impart on the younger generations, but also drives business value helps you predict and see obstacles, barriers to entry before they may occur. Um, yeah, exactly and so right. we, we absolutely have to treasure that and do everything we can to be recruiting our older generations to also stay in the workforce, just like we're trying to recruit the younger generations. But the other side of the coin is, yep. uh, and, and we're going to take a break here, but I'm going to do this as kind of a, a little uh, teaser here for you to, to chew on. And then let's dig into this whenever we come back on the other side of the break. And it's this. You had, had mentioned several months back that if someone wants another generation to suffer ah. just so that they can be understood, yep. that that is one of the worst things that you could wish on somebody. And so we, yep. we need to unpack that a little bit because we need to talk about that side of things too. And how do we help combat when that shows up in the workplace, because that often runs rampant too. So we're going to uh, unpack that with Lindsay. When we come back on the other side of the break, you are listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. We thank you for listening to the show, and we will be right back after a two-minute break. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach. 
who believes what we believe, who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion, a coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers. Then knowing your why is the first step to untap potential, to focus, to breakthroughs. A coach who's looking for a better way. Are you that coach? And welcome back, everybody, to Geek Skeezers Googleization. We've got the one and only Lindsay Picardo with us today, multi generational expert coach, international speaker. And Lindsay, before we went to the break, I, I kind of teed something up that, that you shared several months ago that I absolutely loved. And, and you put it on your social media channels about how, particularly for older generations, if you want the younger generations to suffer just so that you, the older generation, can be understood, that's totally wrong. Let's unpack that. Explain a little bit more of why that is and, and how do we help coach that out of our organizations? Okay, this is... This is some of the most interesting discoveries I've had in this decade of work because organizations will call me and say, Linz, come teach us how to engage the next generation. I'd say, great, I'm going to educate you with a slide deck. Here are the four factors to bring in the next generation. I'd go through the factors and they would all kind of be like, all right. And I would start to talk to them about, okay, this matters, but for some reason, it's bothering you that I'm talking about this and you're trying to be polite. What is going on? And I started to crack open the conversation, not be an expert and tell you what to do, but be a coach and understand the resistance in yourself around this. There's, we all know there's best practices. You know, how do you get into shape? How do you do do something big with your life. There's best practices, but what gets in the way? Our own beliefs. And so what I found with leaders is there was this core belief and it sounded something like this. I didn't get that treatment, that good of treatment when I was growing up. Why should I give it to them? And it's human. Isn't that so human? I didn't get that. Why should you get it? Kids these days, you know, you all know these tropes. Kids these days, they have it so easy. You know, you go on and on and on. And I found as a coach, that is the piece. There's a part of us that believes that we have suffered and got to where we are partly because of the suffering we've endured. And if the next generation doesn't suffer in the same way, something is wrong. They need to go through that and they need to be in pain. And what I started to understand with the help of psychologists and therapists is that part of how we understand ourselves is by seeing our journey in other people. So we're mirroring into younger people's lives, the type of suffering we had. And when it's not equal, man, life is unfair. It doesn't feel good. We want to be seen and understood in what we went through versus preventing pain and suffering for the next generation. I don't even say this as like a condemnation. I'm really just saying it as this was a discovery I had with leaders is this common attitude of you need to go through what I went through to become who I am. And it's going to be painful and it, you're going to suffer. And if you don't, this is unfair to me. And so we started to talk about, okay, what if we found in the workplace that there was a, 
a toxin in the paint that when you breathed in your whole life, shortened your lifespan by a decade. Would you want us to go ahead and clean out that workplace and repaint it so the next generation doesn't lose a decade or do they deserve mm. to lose a decade as well? And I started to take this kind of emotional lever and move it into the physical world. And all of a sudden people said, no, of course you should change the paint out. They shouldn't die young when we've made this discovery. Well, this is all the incredible work that you're doing, Jason, is you're figuring out what are these toxins that are happening on a relational level, on a psychological and emotional level at work that's slowing people down, causing unnecessary suffering, causing distraction and pain between teammates. Wouldn't we want to eliminate that? So some of it is helping leaders reframe, look, it is our responsibility, not just to keep people from physical harm, but psychological harm as well. And if that's tough for you, that might be a sign to have some therapeutic intervention. That might be a sign that it's time to listen to parts of you that are young, that don't feel like they were cared for. But really trying to make this transition out of, oh, millennials are snowflakes. They want a hug. They want us to help take care of their puppy. You know, all these soft and say, this is really about safety. And because we're social creatures, it's also important, not that we have physical safety, but that we have social safety at work as well. What do you think about that? I'm really curious. I love it. I think you're spot on there. And I mean, not to make light of it, but I'm going to inject a little humor onto it also here. But are you a fan of Seinfeld? Oh, generational problems here right now, uh -oh. right here and right now. I barely was old enough to watch it. Okay. So, so for me, I grew up watching Seinfeld and absolutely loved it. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe part of the coaching that needs to go on is we need to have the airing of grievances as part of Festivus that goes <laughs> on of, you know, being able to say, these are the problems I have with you or your generation. Just get it all out and let's have some therapeutic intervention here and be able to move past it and work together as a team. Um, That's it. But no, setting all that aside, you're absolutely right. Deep work is what it takes. And I think for too long in business, We've focused on the deep work when it comes to the nuts and bolts of work, right? We care about our product. We care about our service. So we're going to get as scientific as we can in terms of our go-to-market strategy, how we take care of our customers. But for so long in the business world, we were able to get away with still being able to attract and hire people without having to really focus on employee experience. And mm -hmm. what is the culture that you actually have? How do people feel connected to the work? Um, are they connected in healthy ways? We're now in an age where there's no going back. That's right. We have to become just as scientific, just as therapeutic in the, I don't like this word, but I'll, I'll use the air quotes for those who, who aren't watching and are just listening. Air quotes, the softer skills of being able to work with people. And, you know, we, we talked earlier about how technology and the future is rapidly changing, that the research we shared at the top of the show, that half of employers are saying that the skills that their people mm -hmm. have will be obsolete within four years. Yes. Um, the thing that will never change over the history of time until the world ends is the ability to equip and work with other people cohesively toward a shared common goal. That's that right. will never change regardless of how the future changes. 
And I think it's finally refreshing that those aspects of running a business, of creating a culture, of focusing on the employee experience are finally being given their due parity mm-hmm. in business and are seen as table stakes just as much as having a very clear go-to-market strategy, just as clear as as important as having a succession plan in place for your leadership. You cannot and you will not survive in the future of work if you are not focusing. Everyone, I want you to hear this. If you're not focusing on the things Lindsay's talking about today, mm-hmm. the coaching of how to be empathetic doesn't mean you got to agree on everything. That's, right. That's not what she's saying. But you've got to you've got to step out of your own experiences and your own understanding and consider that other people don't think that same way and still be able to work with them and say, God bless you, whatever, you know. I don't totally agree with that, but that's not going to become a detriment to us being able to work on their shared common goal and be able to get it done and do it to the best of our ability. And I think because of you, because of the Stephen Kotlers, because of the Chip Conleys of the world, these things are no longer being viewed as, I'm using air quotes again for those who are listening, alternative forms of medicine, so to speak. But no, <laughs> yeah, yes. no, this is this is this is preventative health for your organization. And and I'm glad that it's finally starting to to get its due. Um yes. one of the the other comments that we just got here was um one of the listeners today said some wisdom can't be microwaved. They're pulling that quote from you. Yes. You shared that today, Lindsay. So yes. make sure you write that down and you put that in all of your website marketing collateral. That's an absolute gem among the many that you've shared today. But oh. um, as, as we start to, to uh, wrap things up here before too long, one of the questions that we always love to ask before we start getting into the lightning round is what's something that I should have asked you today on this topic that I did not? Oh my gosh, that's a great, great question because I have... There's a there's a handful of questions, but you know I love that we're getting to the core and we're not getting stuck on how many what's the actual millions of people in the workplace, but we're getting to the core of what's happening with your leadership today because that's what matters. So I actually you nailed the things that matter. I think I want to touch back on what you just said is that empathy does not mean that you always agree with somebody. I think this is huge because leaders come to me all the time and say, this 22-year-old says they're stressed out by the 40-hour work week. Are you kidding me? When I was their age, I worked 65 Mm. hours. And here, this is a perfect moment where all of a sudden we have a conflict because of expectations, because of And what does it take for that leader to say, huh, isn't that interesting? I used to work 65 hours and it almost killed me. So isn't it interesting that this other individual thinks 40 is too much? I may not agree with them. I think 40 is reasonable. It's average. But how do I show empathy? Well, I remember being young and feeling overworked. Mm. I I can meet them in this understanding and we get so caught in what's right. What is the right answer? What's the wrong answer? particularly around productivity and your ability to always be on and be available at work. Those are some of the biggest challenges between generations that this piece of the difference between empathy and agreement is huge. You will not agree. Don't try to 
you know, always agree with the people around you, but you can definitely share in the human experience and the emotions that they're going through. And that's one of the biggest pieces of the generational conversation is, do I have enough ruggedness inside of me that you can have a different experience than I had and I can still understand your humanness? I can still understand your emotional experience. Or do I need to judge it and say, no, 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 no. You don't get the right to that because I didn't have the right to that. This is the core piece that I am working through with leaders right now and that you brought up, which is so good. Well, and thank God we have you doing that because I, you you know this. I shared this a few weeks ago. In my past life, I used to work in schools yes. as a psychologist, right? And what I can tell you without a doubt, Lindsay, we did not focus and this is across the board, public schools, private charter, doesn't matter what flavor of school it is. There's such a focus on academic standards, mm-hmm. but there's not a focus on social, emotional learning like there should be. Yes. And so much of this stuff has in, in terms of understanding who we are, who other people are, how do I work with them? How do I understand them empathically? These are things we 100% should be focused on developing these skills in people at a young age. Yes. So that by the time they graduate, there's a certain level of literacy and understanding how to relate with people. And sadly, um, we we don't have that. We don't have that as a poor car, a, a core part of what we're teaching in schools. And yes. not that that's going to solve everything, but eventually you're bailing out so much water from your boat that has holes in it that you eventually need to stop and be like, okay, we need to repair the holes. That's Um, right. Yes, we're bailing out the water, which is fine. But we also need to go back at some point and look at how can we help future generations be better equipped for the future of work, for understanding how to work with each other, for being able to work with technology. Because let's face it, most of them are going to be working with robots and artificial intelligence and beyond chat GPT. But physically, there may be robots around them that's working you know, hand in hand with them or whatever, I guess a robot would call their appendage that looks like an arm. But I, 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 <laughs> I almost said paw, hand and paw. <laughs> right, right. But yeah. um, it's absolutely fascinating. And I mean, we're going to have to have you on again, and especially um, whenever uh, Ira is back. So we can continue this conversation because we just scratched the surface today um, on this topic. But you shared so many helpful tidbits um, for our listeners. And so as we get ready to wrap things up, we've got to move into our lightning round where we want to get to know Lindsay Bacardo a little bit better on a personal level and, and help our listeners um, get to know you better, too. So, Lindsay, are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. Let's start off with this one. If you could spend the day with anybody in the history of the world, who would you choose? I would actually choose, this is so interesting because I would go back and talk to Jesus himself Mm. and I would really want to understand, man, he had a viral message that's now over 2000 years old. And I've been to seminary, I've studied kind of how books were put together, how messages were passed down generation to generation verbally uh, for very, for centuries. And I just think the core of some of what he shared, the core of it, we are still searching for today. I find that fascinating. I would definitely want to talk to him about that and just witness, you know, watch him. Yeah. 
I love that one. And for me, like if I, if I were to, to meet him, one of the things I would want to ask is, did you really say that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, no. because so much gets, <laughs> gets contorted and, you know, just completely misinterpreted. And so just to be able to spend the day and be like, Hey, we've got a pretty clear history here of what everyone else wrote about the things you said. Can you walk us through the things that that was what you intended or yes, this is the way things were. Um, you know, it would just be fascinating to me. My hunch is that we would be shocked at what he shared and what he really intended. And the more that I dig into that, the more I see the core of, you know, this idea of creating others that I am, I am here, but you're other than me. And the other, only way I can relate to you is to harm you, persecute you, or have pity on you. I think that the core of his message was that's not real. The othering of others saying I am better than you or I'm better off than you or kind of judging each other and creating the other. I think that was the core of what he hated. And I would love to hear his perspective on that and see what he has to say. Because based love on it. his behavior, that's what I see. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. I think he was more of a rebel than what people tend to think. That's exactly times. right. That's right. Uh, how about this one? Let's, we know, uh, well, I guess I know our listeners don't, but you got a little bit of a music background. You mentioned yes. playing drums and things like that and, and yeah. being a director at the School of Rock. So we've got to ask you this. How about a favorite song or a favorite band for you? Paramore is a chick-led rock band by Haley Williams and uh, her band is awesome. They just put out some new music. They're coming to Indiana in a few months. Of course, I got tickets, but they have an album called Riot, and it is fantastic. It's my favorite album to play the drums to. It's my hype album. I love it. I also am a No Doubt girl from the 90s. Gwen Stefani, Tragic oh, yeah. Kingdom. Come on. Put that CD on. That's the one. Those yeah, two. Any, anytime I'm just a girl you know, turns out like I'm there rocking it out too, just like anybody. How you can know? you not? Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. So really yeah. good. That's the first time we've had Paramore on. Real quick before I ask you the next one, Fireflight. Have you ever heard of them before? Because they have a pretty similar sound to Paramore. I think that I used to listen to them, but I thought I'm gonna choose Paramore. But I remember I remember one of their album covers. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. This is taking us back a little bit here. Love yeah. it. Yeah. And then how about um if there was, let's say that you, you, you won the lottery. Yes. And there would be three things that you could do. We won't just say one. How about three things that you could do with your winnings? What would be the three things that you'd want to do after hitting the jackpot? Uh, first, I'd call a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> wise, very wise. You know, there's a reason that so many people go bankrupt after they win the lottery. That's right. I really believe that there is pressure that happens over time that makes our bones denser emotionally that allows us more responsibility and money is really a responsibility. So, you know, I think about if when people win the lottery and their bones aren't dense enough and are ready for this, holy smokes, you get yourself into trouble every time it's like clockwork. This is going to be a problem. This is going to be a problem. So first I would call a lawyer. I would set up another LLC to check that, to uh, actually cash that check. And I would find a way to do it, to have money away for generations behind me, for my kiddos and their kids. And I think, you know, I would probably, I've thought about this before, but I stop working cold and I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't. And that's the test. Jason, this is the test. Are we doing yeah. work that means something to us? If I won the lottery, would I stop? I love that. So I'd keep working and I would keep doing what I love. I love it. Absolutely. And and so that kind of goes into this last question here too. We've been talking a lot about multi-generational understanding and tapping into that power. And so let's flip that on its side here. And let's just talk about Lindsay Bacardo for this last uh, lightning round question in terms of what would the Lindsay Bacardo today say to Lindsay Bacardo, the younger girl, maybe like when you're 12, and what would Lindsay Bacardo say to 70-year-old Lindsay Bacardo one day? Oh, I love it. I think if my 12-year-old self saw me, she'd be like, yes, you still wear basketball shorts and <laughs> cut-off t-shirts <laughs> and Nike sneakers. I think that I would tell her everything is okay and will be okay and enjoy this moment and there will be plenty more. You will laugh more than you could ever imagine. You will go through challenging times, but I'm telling you, be true to yourself. Be ruthless about being true to yourself. That's what I would tell her. And I think she'd be surprised at where we've ended, where we've ended up, because my definite definition of success as a 12-year-old is very different than my definition of success now. And then I think my 70-year-old self, well, she'll be a hologram probably at the rate that we're going. So <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and I'll be able to time travel back to this moment and freak each other out. But I think by the time I'm 70, I think the main thing I'm going to care about is if I left a legacy and not money. I really, you know, Mr. Rogers has this quote. I just posted it today. Um, I've got to share it if I can find it really fast. Yeah, it's something absolutely. along the line. It's something along the lines of, okay, I've got it. Um, uh, nope, that's not the one. Okay. It's basically love first, success second, something like this. I'll, Love first, success, success second, always in that order. This is why it's so simple and difficult. Mm. So I think about when I'm 60, I'm going to care if I people felt loved when they were around me. And um, everything else is second to that. And I think, you know, the moment I became a step parent a few years ago, that started to get very crystallized. I went from kind of a bachelor running around doing my thing, caring about my career to these deeper levels for myself of self-understanding and love and connection. And, you know, I think that's what I'm going to care most about is if the people that, you know, grew up alongside me still want to be around me. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're going to count as success is continuing to love and evolve Think about what matters most each day, not getting trapped in the hurriedness and the hecticness of life. I love that, Lindsay. And so, folks, you, you've you gotten a front row seat to Lindsay Bacardo today. And so I hope that you get an opportunity to see her out on the road. She is a keynote speaker at many global events all across the country um, as well, and that you get to, to see her and hear from her because she was just as fantastic as she was today and insightful and brilliant. And so if you have any needs leaders, you're trying to figure out how do I help lead and guide our generational workforce to be able to work better together, you need to talk with Lindsay. She does live trainings. You can go to practicewithlindsay.com. 
to learn more about the live trainings. And then you can go to lindsaybicardo.com um, as well to learn more about all of her different services and offerings. So, Lindsay, we can't thank you enough, honestly, for joining us today and sharing your heart and your soul with all of our listeners and helping them learn some things too today. Um, thank and you. so hopefully, Thanks, yeah, and uh, this will be a, uh, there will be a part two eventually as well. And so we'd love to have you back on the show sometime in the future. Thank you. I'd love that. I really appreciate being here and uh, wish Ira the best as he gets a well-deserved break. Absolutely. You did a great job carrying the show, Jason. You nailed it. Oh, no, it's not the same, but you you helped me, Lindsay. You did a tremendous job. So thanks so much, Lindsay, and we'll be seeing you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. So there you have it, folks. Um, that was a lot that we covered in 55 minutes. Um, Lindsay was brilliant. I really do encourage you to check out her stuff that she has at lindsaybicardo.com. This is her jam. This is what she specializes in, working with the older generations, working with the younger generations, helping them understand each other and work together as a team. I'll tell you, one of the, the big takeaways for me that I got from Lindsay was when she said that some wisdom can't be microwaved. And I think in particular for our younger generations, that's so important because our younger generations, they're, they're growing up in a time where things are quick. They are efficient. We've now entered the AI world where very quickly chat GPT is probably going to overtake Google in terms of the number of searches that are done. So things are changing rapidly and it's important for us all to remember there's certain things, certain skills that are really important to developing as a human being but also contributing value to an organization that do come with age and experience and it's experiential wisdom. And some of those things, they can't be microwaved like Lindsay said. And so building empathetic practices, bringing in outside professionals like Lindsay that can help coach guide and direct the right kind of conversations to build the trust and the safety in your organization it's not only important for right now in the world that we're living in, but this is critical in the future of work because we may move from five generations in the workplace to six before too long. Just like I said at the beginning, there we may come to a point pretty soon where great-grandparents and their great-grandchildren are both working at the same time. So we've got to figure out how to become better and more efficient at being able to communicate with each other and work on their shared goals. So thank you everyone for tuning in today. Um, if you have not liked and subscribed to the podcast, please do so. You can go to geekskeezersgoogleization.com. You can drop us a review. Uh, we'd appreciate that. Like we said at the beginning, you're the reason that we're in the top 1% in popularity in the world and continue to grow. So again, we thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you again on the other side. Thank you for being a part of Googleization Nation. And remember, until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>